1 Corinthians chapter 12 in your Bible. And we'll begin in verse number 14. For the body is not one member, but many. He's speaking about the physical body. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I pray that it would be clear. I pray, Father, if someone is listening, they have never trusted you as their Savior. I pray that you would make it very clear that they must be born again. Religious people, good people, those who may believe in their mind intellectually, in Jesus and what he's done for them, but perhaps someone who has never yet placed their faith and trust in you for their salvation. I pray, Lord, for those of us as believers, we would see your plan for every Christian as we study the body. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Over the next several weeks, I'll be teaching and preaching on what we some of the material that we go through in the members class. And uh, we have come up with the church membership class uh, for several reasons, one of which is uh, there are many, every person has a different church background. And when we talk about church membership, it can be very confusing as to what it means to be a church member. And to make that uh, clear, we will... Um, uh, we have a church membership class that just takes one Saturday. It goes for about three hours. And if someone is interested in being a church member, uh, first of all, you have to have a clear testimony or a story, your own story 
of being born again. We ask every person, how did you get saved? How did you trust Christ as your Savior? And it's interesting how some people never quite make it past that point, right? Uh, they have not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, uh, but they're interested in baptism or they're interested in, in being a church member. That is the most important decision anyone will ever make. The most important decision you will ever make is trusting Christ as your Savior. Now, many people believe in Jesus. Many people have a religious background or they believe in him that he existed. They believe that he's good. They believe that he's the Savior of the world. But there is a big difference between believing in him and knowing about him and actually trusting him to save you. Becoming a Christian for some people just means I changed my religion from either a non-religious person or from a different type of religion, and now I want to become a Christian, and they're changing their religion. That is not being born again. Being born again is a decision. It is an experience. It is receiving Jesus Christ for yourself. Why are we receiving him? Because we know in the depths of our soul that without him, we are lost. We are on our way to hell. We do not get saved simply because, uh, well, I prayed to Jesus and he helped me with a sickness that I had. That's not salvation. Amen. That is not salvation. Uh, deciding, well, I'm going to follow in the religion of my parents. That is not salvation. Salvation is when I personally believe that I am accountable to God for my sin. I will stand before God for everything that I have done, for everything that my heart has thought, for everything that I have done with my hands, every word that's come out of my mouth. I will stand before God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is why we trust Jesus. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus took our place on the cross. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the appeasement for our sin. Jesus took the penalty of our sin upon himself. It would almost be like your very best friend saying, oh, you got in trouble with mom or got in trouble with the principal. I will take the punishment. I will stay after school. I will write the sentences on the board or I will pay the fine or whatever it is. When Jesus died on the cross, it is the greatest expression of love that has ever been displayed. He took all of our sin upon himself. He died for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died. But he rose again from the dead. In doing so, he can then give us the gift of eternal life. You have to have that experience. Meaning, not something that happens to you, but something that you step into, something you make the decision for. Oftentimes I talk about marriage. Marriage, getting married, is an experience. But it's something that I chose. It's something that April, my wife, she chose. We chose each other and we stepped into that experience. That's what it means to be born again. God is working in my heart, convincing me that I am lost, showing me that I need to be saved. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of people that tell themselves they are a good person. 
Give me a list of why you're a good person. And man, people can make a list. They donate to charity. They treat people with respect. They don't act in any way that is discriminatory. They will, will get up and give somebody their chair on the subway when everything is packed out and they're holding six bundles. And the, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. Why, why are you a good person? But you see, we don't go to heaven because we're good, because the Bible says there is none good in God's sight. There is none good. Right. We may look at one another and say, that's a good person. That's a that's a nice guy or that's a great girl. But in God's sight, none of us are good enough to make it to heaven. Well, you must have a clear testimony of being born again. You must have followed Jesus in biblical baptism, a gospel preaching church, believers baptism. Why do we get baptized? Why do we go to a tank of water or a swimming pool or the lake or whatever it is? Why do we stand there and allow a minister to plunge us into the water and pull us back up. Not so that we can have our sins washed away. The blood of Jesus Christ, it washes away our sin. Amen. Okay? It is not the water of baptism that washes away our sin. We are following Jesus by saying, I want to be baptized. Again, it's just a symbol of our belief in Jesus. I have been plunged into Jesus Christ. I've had my sins washed away. Again, going back to the marriage illustration, I wear a wedding band because I got married. This is just an outward symbol of something that April and I did 17 years ago. Can you believe 17 years? 17 years ago, right? Wow. Uh, but if, yeah, I know. That's a bit. It's life feels. I mean, it's good. But if someone is just walking around with a wedding band on their on their on their finger, it doesn't make them married, right? You have to have that time where you come together and accept one another. Same thing is true with baptism. Okay, so there has to be a biblical baptism, and you must agree with our Baptist doctrinal statement, and we go through that in the membership class. Okay, so we ask, can you share your testimony? Now, of course, we try to interview people beforehand so that they're not embarrassed in a group. Um, if that person doesn't know for sure that they're saved, we wouldn't want to uh, that for that to come out in front of everyone. That's not the intention whatsoever. But something that we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is the one that wrote this book of the Bible. God gave him the knowledge. God told him what to write down. He did have a knowledge of the events. He had a knowledge of theology. He had a knowledge of these spiritual truths. But as far as exactly what to write down, God is the one that put these words into his mind and into his heart. The Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In some cases, these men, they were speaking the words of God. And then others were writing them down. In other cases, God specifically told them, write this down. And there are some books of the New Testament where the Apostle Paul was not the one who personally wrote it down. Perhaps it was a friend or someone close by that was writing it down as he was speaking. And But these are the words of God, and he's speaking about a church. This church was awful. None of us would have wanted to be a member of the First Baptist Church of Corinth at this time period. They were fighting. They were 
they were, it was a constant competition of who was the most spiritual. There were groups over here. They would mistreat a group over here because this group said, well, Paul baptized us. And this other person said, well, another teacher, Apollos, or maybe even some other teacher baptized us. They were constantly fighting with one another. And then we get to chapter number 12. And another reason why this church was having such problems is because of the matter of a spiritual gift. Now, if you take a moment and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, talking about idol worship. Okay, remember, before he gets into the discussion of them being a church, uh, a church membership that helps one another and they're all honoring Christ and they have this incredible unity. He goes back to the point that they had all been saved. They'd all trusted Christ. They'd all turned from these idols that they had worshiped and they had trusted Christ. It says they were carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Verse three, wherefore I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, we're going to go through the spiritual gifts that God, the Holy Spirit, gives the New Testament church. Now, I'm going, this is kind of a teaching session more than like a preaching session, okay? There are two lists of gifts. This is the one that is currently in operation today. We'll go through this in, in just a moment. Sometimes it uses different words. Every one of us sitting in this room, if you have been saved, you have been born again, you have at least one of these gifts. Every one of us. If you can go back to the time and the place and you say, I have trusted Christ as my Savior, whether it was last week or whether it was many years ago, whether it was when you were young, it doesn't matter. Listen, this is not the same thing as having a natural talent. This is different than that. Okay? Now, some people think, well, I have a natural talent for something, and so that's my spiritual gift. That's not necessarily true. These are a gift from the Holy Spirit. God has given you this gift when you trusted Christ. And again, the premise of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the fact that in the spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth, they were fighting over who was the best or who it was a competition. Who could be the most spiritual? And the gift that they were using, really the most that were, they were trying to fight over was the gift of tongues. Now, there is a list of supernatural gifts. We're not going to go through the whole list, but there is a list of supernatural gifts that was used for this particular time period, one of which was the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, in the Bible, when someone spoke in tongues, it was a language a known language. Now, I'm looking at the crowd right now. And there are many of you that can speak languages that I cannot speak. Amen. Okay. Now, in this time period, 
God gave the gift of tongues to certain individuals so that they could preach the gospel and that person could supernaturally hear the gospel being preached to them without that speaker learning that language. Wow. That would be awesome. The primary example of this is found in Acts chapter 2. We can take a moment and look at this. And they were fighting over whether or not if someone had this gift of tongues, if they were the most spiritual person. Christianity is not meant to be a competition, but just as an illustration and just showing you the gift of tongues, it says in verse chapter 2, and verse number four, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, notice if we jump down to verse number seven. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. It's very clear in Acts chapter number 2 that the believers in the Jerusalem church were speaking unto them about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And those who were listening, those who were listening could hear the gospel clearly in their own language. It says in verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues or languages the wonderful works of God. This was a supernatural gift. Now, we'll look in just a moment. This gift and others like it, other supernatural gifts, the ability to just heal somebody by touching them, the ability to have supernatural ability to have a knowledge about something. They call it the word of knowledge where you could just know God's word and kind of have that discernment at that particular moment um, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, these, some of these gifts were temporary. Look at uh, verse uh, chapter number 13. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Look at chapter number, First Corinthians 13 and verse number 8. Charity never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, the gift of prophecy, the gift of being able to uh, speak God's word, not in a preaching sense, but as in a supernatural ability to be able to foretell future events. Notice what it says about this. Charity never faileth. What is charity? Okay, charity in this sense is agape love. It's the love of Christ. It is the it is the love that we have for other human beings, the love that we have for other Christians. Okay, charity, Christian charity or agape love will never fail. It will never stop. But notice it goes and it talks about these other gifts. Okay, it says whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge or the gift of knowledge. 
meaning the gift of knowledge was all of a sudden God has supernaturally given me something to tell you about your life and I have no knowledge of your life. The gift of knowledge. Notice what it says. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, meaning these gifts are temporary. They're all going to be done away with. Verse number 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You can also look throughout the book of Acts as history and the church began to move on, and as the word of God began to be written, the gift of tongues was no longer employed, and it began to be used less and less and less. The same thing is true when you look at the New Testament. First Corinthians is really the only book that talks about the gift of tongues in detail, and it was to address the specific need. But as the scriptures began to be written and you move through the other books of the Bible, the Apostle Paul wrote, it never talks about the gift of tongues in the same way and certainly not to the same degree. It began to be used less and less and less and less. Why? Because it faded off the scene. The spiritual gift is not something that we need to concern ourselves with. It is supposed to cease. Okay. In context, when he's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, there were those that had this ability, this supernatural ability to be able to speak and someone could hear the gospel or hear God's word being spoken to them in their own language. If we take a look and we're going to study the spiritual gifts that are still in operation today, we'll see a partial list in 1 Corinthians 12. And verse number 28, and the remaining ones are in the book of Romans in chapter 12, and we won't take time to look at those. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, it says, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, okay, stop. In order to be an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus Christ with your eyeballs, okay? And they were very, very, uh, there were only a select few that were apostles. We don't have to worry about apostles being in today's society. I am not an apostle, and neither are you, or neither is anyone else, though they may claim to be an apostle. There were apostles. The apostles were the ones that wrote the books of the New Testament. Okay, They had this supernatural uh, ability to, to be able to do these different signs. They could speak in tongues, and they could do uh, these different sorts of miracles. Again, why? We have to understand that there, everything was changing from the Old Testament with temple worship and all of this stuff. And now there's this huge transition taking place in the New Testament Christianity. And in order to convince people this was of God, there were supernatural signs and gifts that showed this transition. And then all of a sudden now those, those, those gifts were no longer employed. And now we are, uh, we have the scripture the completed scripture. And so we see the partial list here in verse 28. God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, that one is no longer in operation, then gifts of healing, that is no longer in operation, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, that one is no longer in operation. If we take all the places where God talks about spiritual gifts, we find this list right here, and I'll just read it briefly. You've had some time to look at it 
as I've been speaking. The first one is uh, prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. Declaring God's word in preaching is really what it's talking about. When the Bible's talking about the gift of the, the, the gift of prophecy or having this spiritual gift, when you trust that Christ as your Savior, as you begin to grow in your relationship with God, you have this desire to declare God's word to others. It's something that cannot be explained, but it is a strong desire. I've had people tell me before, and I felt the same way, that when you see someone like myself up here declaring your God, declaring God's word and preaching, there's something in your heart that says, I want to do that. Okay, It is a desire to preach or to prophesy. Next one is the gift of ministry. This is also called the gift of helps. This is a strong desire to serve and help other people. Oftentimes people with this gift, they want to do so behind the scenes. They don't necessarily want to be up in front of people, but it's not limited to that. It can also be in a sense where I just want to help. Okay. Uh, I think oftentimes of perhaps Barnabas in the book of Acts. He was just a helper. The Apostle Paul was really kind of the guy up front. He was doing most of the preaching. Not that Barnabas didn't do that either. He definitely had the gift of ministry. The next one is teaching. The ability and desire to teach God's truth and help others understand it. This is different than preaching. right? Teaching is, I really want to help someone else understand this. right? It's not just speaking out and preaching and trying to help people come to a decision. It's more of whether it's children or whether it's people in a certain age group or whether it's teaching adults or maybe even when you're at work and someone shows interest, it's like, man, I really want to help them understand this. The gift of teaching. The next one is the gift of exhortation, the ability and desire to encourage others in the Christian life. It is amazing to be around someone who has the gift of exhortation. The word exhortation is building up. Man, does the church need that? Guys, as we look at these gifts, does the church need this? Does the church need preaching? Yes. Yes. Amen. Does the church need ministry? People that are just there to help. I'm here to help. I'm coming early. I'm staying late. I'm looking for opportunities. We should all be helpers. We should all be servants. But this person has a special gift for it. Teaching. Man, we need teachers. The church needs teachers, not just this church, but every church needs teachers. It needs those who are looking to build others up. The next one is giving. This one is typically someone who doesn't just want to give, but God has also blessed them in their life so that they have money to give, right? The gift of giving. There are some people that just give and give and give and give and give. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, there's a ministry out in California, and I listened to that pastor some, and I took some of their courses. And, you know, they have people that give them millions of dollars, people that are millionaires, and they love the Lord and devoted believers. And they just give millions of dollars, and whether it's a millionaire or whether it's just someone who's blessed, they have this gift of giving. The next one is ruling or administration. This person loves to organize. I know some people like that. They have this gift. It's supernatural. Okay? Um, to organize, they love to lead teams. They love seeing order and progress. 
I know some people like that. Okay? Uh, guys, to be honest, sometimes it's the pastor and the church, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's somebody else. Uh, it, ministry became a bit more uh, um, easy, I don't know, uh, for me when I realized God's given me the gift to preach and teach. But he's not necessarily given me in huge doses the gift of administration and ruling. You know who has that gift? My wife. So I do my part and she does her part. And as the church grows, we'll find other people that have the gift of administration. And together, we all working together. You guys see that? And as we're working together, you've got people that are teaching, and they're, man, some people are so gifted in teaching. It's ridiculous. You, you, you're just listening. To, again, my wife's one of these. Teaching kids, you're like, the kids are, the, the, the adults are sitting there like little kids, like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Administration. Last one, mercy. The ability to feel the pain of others and help them. Listen, you most likely, even just seeing this list and hear the description, there's one of them that's kind of stood out to you and said, oh, man, I think that's me. (laughs) I think that's me. Everyone has one of these gifts. We don't have to worry about the gifts that have passed on. Like speaking in tongues. We're not going to worry about that one. It's passed on. We have the word of God, the word of God, that which is perfect has come. This, this is perfect. It's complete and it's perfect. It's come. We have it. The New Testament hadn't been completely written and completed at the time of 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 being written. So they still had, we've all moved before. I hate moving. God seemed fit for us to move a lot. We've moved five times since we've lived in Canada for six years. Don't recommend it. But when you move, you need a lot of cardboard boxes. Please don't pay for cardboard boxes. There's a lot of places in the city to get them for free. Right? What do you do? You put all your stuff in it. You move. You take your stuff back out. You flatten down the cardboard box. You throw them in your car or maybe put them out for the recycle people to come and get them. Waste management. Right? They're disposable. We need to look at these, the gifts of the Spirit in terms of speaking in tongues. What was the other one? Uh, miracles, gifts of healing, word of knowledge. These ones, they're like cardboard boxes. They were used to move faith from the Old Testament era to the New Testament era. And once the Bible was completed, there's no reason to keep the Christian church full of cardboard boxes. There's no reason for the speaking in tongues. There's no reason for the word of knowledge. There's no, there's no reason for this supernatural gift of healing. If somebody says, oh, you have something wrong with you, come to my church. My pastor will pray on his handkerchief and wave it on your face. Sounds kind of gross. And you'll be instantly healed. 
Why are you keeping cardboard boxes around? We're not looking for those gifts. The church exists on people truly being born again, truly being baptized, following Christ, believing the same doctrine, the same teachings, and saying, yes, I want to be a part of the church. What does it mean to be a church member? It means, it goes through the illustration, for sake of time, we're not going to go through every single detail, but look with me briefly, and verse number 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, it describes different body parts. It describes the body, right? The church is the body, calls it the body. Now, some people would argue, always talking about all the Christians everywhere, as in the body of Christ. In context, he's talking to a specific church with a specific problem. He's not talking to all Christians everywhere in the sense of everybody who's saved is already in the church. He's talking about a local church. And he's talking to local people. He's talking to Corinthians. And he's saying, listen, guys, your local body is not functioning correctly. Why? Because you're all fighting and thinking that you should have the gift of tongues. And that's why he begins talking about, what if the whole body were an eyeball and there were no hand? Right? That's why he's saying that. He's using it as an illustration. He's saying, you have a spiritual gift. Use your spiritual gift. Now, here's the points. We'll buzz through this in less than 10 minutes. But all of that was introduction so that we know we're on the same page. What does it mean to be a member of a church? What does it mean to say, I want to be a church member? You have to know that you're saved 100%. It has to be a clear testimony of salvation. You have to have been baptized in a Baptist church or have had believer's baptism. You got baptized because you are a believer in Christ in deep water. Okay? You have to agree to Baptist doctrine and teaching, which is it's very simple. I can give you the printout. We teach it all the time. But you say, okay, now I'm a church member. What does that mean? It means, in part, you know your gift. And you're coming to say, hey, this is the spiritual gift that God has given me. How can I be a part? How can I be a part? I want to be a functioning church member. Again, we're talking about in terms of the human body, these different points, we go into more detail in the membership class. But it, first of all, we are all necessary parts of the whole, meaning there is no one part of my body that I would say, you know what, I haven't used that in a week or two. Give me the knife. We're just going to cut that one off and... No. Every single piece of your body is there for a reason. It all it does something. Right? It does something. I'm not a doctor, I don't pretend to be. But they say, well, the appendix, we don't know what that's there for, and we'll just cut it out. God put it there for a reason. I don't know why, no one knows why, but eventually we'll probably figure out why. That's my opinion, based on scripture. But the fact is, is that we look at body parts and we think, you know what? Everything is necessary. If somebody moves, listen, 
If somebody moves to an area and God works in your heart and says, I want you to go try out Sparrow Baptist Church. And God works in your heart and gives you peace. This is the church. Then God has done that. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 18. But now hath God set the members. God has set the members. Every one of them in the body. As it hath pleased him. As it hath pleased him. We're all necessary parts of the whole. Like a body, we're different, but we still work together. Right? Uh, we can see this sometimes, like perhaps in the sports arena or in a very skilled musician. All their body parts are working together, and it's beautiful. Right? Whether it's a soccer play coming together, and this guy passes it way long, and the guy hits it with one, one touch. Pow! Boom! Ah! Goal! And everybody goes nuts. What are we seeing? Well, we're seeing that individual's body working together. Those of us who are less skilled, it just we, we think, we think, man, if I could do it the way I saw it on TV, I mean I know what to do, it's just not working. In a church, it is a beautiful thing. This is when Christ gets the glory. Is not when churches say, I'm going to come and I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to watch. Like it's a show. But it's like, no, that's my team. I'm going to participate. How do I participate? I don't want to be up in front of people. Thank God most of the gifts have nothing to do with being up in front of people. Everything we say and do is based on a biblical foundation of agape love. There's a whole beautiful sermon that can be preached in context. First Corinthians chapter number 12 is talking about spiritual gifts. It's not talking about us fighting to be the person that everybody looks at or who's the better preacher, or who's the better teacher, or who, who does this better, or who does that better. It's not a competition. It's everybody working together in unity, not in a spirit of competition, as in who's the better Christian at Sparrow Baptist Church. But instead, notice what it says in verse number 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. What's the more excellent way? 1 Corinthians 13, charity, love, agape love. Everything we say and do is based on a biblical foundation of agape love. Sparrow Baptist Church ought to be the kind of church where everybody, we're saved, we're baptized, we come to be a part, we know our spiritual gift, we're growing in grace, we're coming to be a part. I'm not looking to compete against you. I'm looking to work together with everyone, not out of a spirit of competition with another church or a competition with another believer, but in a, in a spirit of love for one another. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. And when Christians do that, as Jesus said in John chapter number 13 and 14, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. It's when every believer brings their spiritual gift that they have willingly. And when you show mercy and when you help organize and when you show up early to help 
And if God has called you to preach, then you begin to study and you do that and opportunities will be given. And, and as you say, I want to teach and we all work together out of a spirit of love for one another and for Christ. What happens? Good things happen. People will begin to see. People will begin to know. Do not think that somehow I am solely responsible as an individual to show the whole world the love of Christ. That is given in the context of the church. It's primarily meant to be done. The church working together. That is not completely all your responsibility. It's our responsibility. A functioning Christian is a functioning church member. Now, maybe this is an area you need to grow towards, an area you need to be challenged in. I just want to be a good Christian and not be a church member. Listen, friend, very kindly, we don't see that in Scripture. That's just not how Christianity works. Why? Well, because you've been given a spiritual gift. And that gift is meant to be employed not on your own, but in Christian love in a local context. It's like someone who's growing pinky fingers in a laboratory somewhere, which maybe someone is. I don't know. What good are they without a body? What good are they without the hand? What good are they without the other four? You say, well, I've really got this gift to teach. I've really got this call to preach. Of what good is it if there isn't a body for us to use in control of the Holy Spirit, in love to Christ, and in love for one another. A functioning church member. Everybody bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. Thank you so much for paying such close attention.